Welcome to CMO Confidential, the podcast that takes you inside the drama, decisions, and choices that go with being the head of marketing. Hosted by five-time CMO, Mike Linton. Welcome marketers, advertisers, and those who love them to Chief Marketing Officer Confidential. CMO Confidential is a program that takes you inside the drama, the decisions, and the politics that go with being the head of marketing at any company in what is one of the most scrutinized jobs in the executive suite. I'm Mike Linton, the former Chief Marketing Officer of Best Buy, eBay, Farmers Insurance, and Ancestry.com, here today with my guest, Paul Madera. Today's topic, a venture capitalist talks about artificial intelligence. Now, Paul is joining us for the second time and brings his venture capital lens and entrepreneurial perspective to the show. He's a founder of Meritech, one of the first firms in Silicon Valley to do later stage investing. And they've backed some serious winners, including Facebook, Salesforce, Roblox, and Snowflake. Paul previously flew F-16s and was an investment banker, so we're all waiting for him to accomplish something significant. Welcome, Paul. Well, thank you, Mike. It's great to be here. And I guess I recognize that you're running out of guests. <laughs> that will take your calls. So I have to do my part, and I am signed up for that. Thank you very much. Our, our listeners salute you. Full disclosure, Paul and I have been friends for over 15 years, and he has really shared a, a really valuable perspective for me on the VC world and how it works. So, so why don't we get started? Let's start at the basics. Paul, provide an overview of VC and what it really means to be a later stage firm. Sure. So I'm a co-founder at Meritech Capital. We're a venture capital firm in Palo Alto, California. I've been doing this for the past 25 years, and we've invested in a lot of technology and a few med tech companies. And over the past couple of decades, we have seen our space, that late stage VC space, grow from essentially one of us, Meritech in 1999, to now over a hundred later stage focused firms managing hundreds of billions of dollars. And um, we're all looking to do something relatively similar, which is to invest in companies that have some early proof of product market fit. They have traction in the market and they are growing at a good pace. Um, very specifically what Meritech looks for and others look for is companies that kind of got to 10 million or so in run rate. They're still a long ways from going public or being bought out by a big buyer, but they are showing those early signs of success in their marketplace. And we do focus mostly on uh, software these days and a lot of uh, business to business software selling to enterprise in particular. Thank you for that. So, so you really invest in companies and ideas after you are satisfied that they're going to really grow and they have a basic infrastructure in place versus the seed guys or the, the early run folks that are, are more investing in ideas. And, and so when you are looking for these, I'll just call them growth proof points or, or things that your firm sees that, yeah, this is going to work or we're willing to place a bet it's going to work. What are the proof points that really stand out for you? Are you asking me to tell you all of our secrets? I am. I am. Well, well, to be honest, trying to draw the venture cap community into listening to our show. Yes, we are. <laughs> I, uh, 
It actually isn't so secret um, because the characteristics that we investors look for are fairly similar. And the real special sauce, I should say, in our world is really getting access to the right companies at the right time. And in order to do that, it really does take a, a reputation in, the, in our marketplace. It takes providing value back to early stage companies in the form of doing things like helping them find team members that can enhance their team at the right time, like an experienced CFO prior to going public, or one of the most challenging hires right now is a chief product officer. That's the person that sort of sits between marketing as well as engineering and tries to find the right product direction and strategy to provi providing a very competitive product. Anyway, that's a very hard position to fill. And uh, if we can help companies do that, that of course helps us get access. But what do we look for in companies? We're looking for a, a strong growth rate, depending on their size, north of 50% annually. We're looking for a business model that is largely fleshed out. We're looking for the right team dynamics. That is not a CEO who tries to do everything for the team, but a team that works together. We're looking for competition. All great companies have competition, but you have to be very competitive in your space and the customers have to tell us so. These days, you also need to have the right kind of burn rate. And that is not so much different from a year or two ago. And of course, you need to have a large market opportunity to chase down. You have years of growth ahead of you. And burn rate for, for uh, all of our listeners that might not know is that's how fast you're burning up cash and how long you're going to be uh, working before you need to raise another round or run out of cash if you can't raise another round, right? Yeah. So, so all right, let's move to the topic of the day, artificial intelligence. Everyone is talking about it. Let's write AI into the story. Meritech sees just about everything, <laughs> it, it, I, I think, in, in when it's going to B or C round, I guess. So I'm sure you're seeing a lot of AI uh, ideas. Tell us about the AI deal flow and, and what you're seeing in the Valley. Sure. Um, it has been sort of the topic of the year. It's been, a, there's been an incredible flow of deals this year and it is not letting up. So uh, just as years ago, aspirational companies compared themselves to Google or Salesforce or HubSpot in the past, now they're all attaching AI to their name, whether or not they really have anything that's artificial. I used AI to write this entire interview outline for you. It's <laughs> chat GPT. Sorry, go ahead. Um, and, and, and many of these companies really don't have much of anything that is AI related, but that doesn't stop them. They've got to do good marketing and attract uh, investor attention as well as customers. Um, and it has turned into, uh, uh, unlike most uh, tech companies that are raising at more modest valuations right now, the AI space is different. There's very high valuations and there's a lot of companies raising money with relatively few employees. And some of them don't even have products in the marketplace yet. So, so let me give you a few stats. Um, I think we've all heard about Microsoft putting $10 billion into OpenAI. OpenAI is the company that is that has created ChatGPT. Um, another stat is that in May of this year, there were 10 new unicorns, that is companies valued at more than a billion dollars, 
that were AI based. And several of those were actually quite small, both in terms of employees as well as business. Some of the biggest financings, and in fact, almost all the big financings in venture capital this year have been AI-based companies. Some examples are Cohere raised $270 million. I mean, these are these amounts of, of raised, by the way, used to be very large IPOs. Now they're large private rounds. Cohere does interactive chat blog posts, product descriptions, things marketers would care about. They only have 180 employees and, uh, and relatively low revenue, although it's growing quickly. Runaway is another one. They raised $100 million. They're doing generative AI for multimedia content. Anthropic raised $450 million, if you can believe that privately. Now, this is very similar to uh, OpenAI, uh, and they have a product that isn't ChatGPT, but they call it Claude. It's a chatbot that has very similar characteristics, but there are some differences, and very specifically versus ChatGPT, which is more human interface based at the back end. Anthropic is using AI itself to help guard against some of the concerns about AI that are being raised sort of on the, on the blogs. There's another company called CoreWeave. Uh, they raised $420 million. They only have 200 people working there. This is a GPU cloud provider. Think about Amazon for compute for AI. And instead of using Intel chips or, or x86 chips, they're using GPUs from NVIDIA, which is the preferred chip, the most efficient chip to create artificial intelligence, uh, large language models. There's another one, another one called Abnormal Security. This is providing security for your email. You're laughing. That's such a great name, Abnormal Security. <laughs> yes, it is. But it's pretty good security, uh, security for email. And, um, and of course, they're using AI to guard against some AI threats. So lots of different uses for AI here, but all, all you know, good examples of raising tremendous amounts of money. And you haven't even talked about the infrastructure play in VC here, which would be all the stuff going into AI, or all the stuff required to make AI work in addition to the NVIDIA chips. Um, so, so this is an awful lot of money pouring into a brand new space with a lot of potential, but What's hype and what's practical here? And how how should you be even thinking about this as first we'll talk about just a regular business person, then then we'll we'll write the marketers into the story. Like you've you've seen just about everything that's come out, you know, in the in the years you've been doing this with mobile and CRM personalization, big data, et cetera. Everything takes off right in the beginning, social, and then it kind of settles out. What what are you thinking about this one on the on the hype versus the pragmatist and 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 the valuations and where this all goes? By the way, you you forgot clean tech and nanotech, which are terms you don't hear anymore. But at their time, I wanted to give you a chance to look good on the show. So there you no, go. Thank you. Uh -huh. um, you know, it, actually, I, I do see this one as quite different than some of the mini waves we've had in the past, and I actually don't think that. AI as a technology can really be overhyped. That is, I think it has tremendous potential. 
and it is going to change almost anything, everything in the tech world. This is, this is revolutionary in a sense, and it'll reverberate, and we'll see its impact for many years to come. Um, and, and as a VC, I'll tell you, we love these big shifts. The last big shift for us that I think about was really the internet itself. You know, prior to the prior to the internet sort of taking off, VC was very limited to just a few spaces. We were right. doing semiconductors and data infrastructure and optical switching. And uh, the internet came along and it just sort of broadened out the space and enabled us to invest in so many other things. Um, and, and just thinking back on that one, there are, there are a lot of similarities. I mean, the internet existed since the 60s. The Defense Department funded it, and it was used both to transfer large amounts of data very efficiently between college universities and defense installations, but it really wasn't useful until Netscape came along, the first browser. And that browser really enabled uh, that technology to be used for consumers and for business. And I think that's a very similar thing to what we're seeing happen this year in terms of these artificial intelligence interfaces, chat, GPT, and the like. You know, uh, AI has been growing for decades. I mean, the coin, right. the term first came about in the 50s. And, and the amount of processing power and the, and the, uh, and the, uh, the, the models used to create artificial intelligence have improved very steadily ever since then. And finally, we get a very easy way to interface with it, ChatGPT being the one that we know. And that now is going to make it able to do so many more things for all of us. But I also think we're going to have a wave of over expectations. We're in that wave right now. And, and just like the uh, 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 Netscape and that first browser caused a set of over expectations that led to the first tech bubble, I think we're gonna see something very similar happen with AI here over the next uh, year or two. Where where a ton of internet companies just basically went out of business and blew up and a whole, oh, bunch, exactly. whole oh, bunch of heavily funded con uh, concepts or ideas like Webvan, et cetera, just completely exploded. So, so how should businesses be playing in this space like how do you do you rush to this as a business or do you ease your way tell us your take because you've watched all these technologies get hyped then absorbed and then become mainstream how should the businesses be playing it yeah i well what's what's really interesting from our perspective is this first wave of standalone ai companies providing a certain use or service I think are going to be short-lived. I think the way that AI is going to be useful uh, broadly is within existing businesses that have customers, and we're going to be able to use AI just to enhance the service to them, to provide it more quickly, more efficiently, uh, and at a higher degree. But so that says practical Ad adoption of AI to solve current consumer interfaces or company problems. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Versus the, versus the, I'm going to reinvent the world or I want to take my whole business and flip it over. So it's run by, uh, by AI. So, so that is an interesting thing. 
right right now it, the right marketers into this story like okay. what like so a lot of you know because we I, we talk to a lot of marketers obviously on the show there's this whole idea tons of marketing is going to be replaced there's going to be fights about content and creation and there's going to be legal things right marketers in this story and then if you could b2b and b2c so sure so so marketers i um let me give you a couple of, of interesting points that I noted recently. Um, HubSpot, which I know most marketers know and use, yeah. um, just came out. They've had limited AI, but they just came out in their earnings report a couple of days ago and said, hey, we are attacking this AI technology head on. We're going to use it throughout our products. We're going to make them better, more efficient, more capable. And you, the consumer, you, the you, the customer of HubSpot, are going to get more use out of that. And their stock price went up while the rest of the market went down. So the markets are following this and they're seeing it and they have high expectations. Um, I actually uh, know the legal space pretty well because uh, we've made some investments there. And it's actually very similar to marketing in, in a couple of ways. First off, um, what do lawyers do like many marketeers? They actually comb through a lot of data, trying to pull out the right language, the right uh, images, the right um, strategic approaches to certain tasks. And, uh, and AI works amazingly well to do what junior lawyers do, which is comb through documents, find the right text, use boilerplate language, adapt it a little bit, and then serve it up to their partner who can, you know, evaluate it, move it along. And, and I think a marketeer is doing a very similar thing. And AI is going to help both these lawyers and these marketers do it so much better. Because what does AI do? AI is like super search that's easy to interface and find uh, much more data and more accurately and faster than human beings can. And so the legal industry is going to be literally turned over in the next two years, I expect. And the same thing will happen with marketers. It's it's going to be a very interesting time. So two follow-ons first, uh, you just drew a parallel between uh, lawyers and marketers. I'm not sure who should be more offended, but I'm I'm sure someone is. So, uh, the second thing I, I'm taking in this discussion is all the AI you just talked about is actually it's it's not creative work. It's not it's not thinking work. It is sorting work or analytical work that is very structured. Is that a fair way to look at it or not? Yeah, no that that is fair. There is a creative wave that's coming. I don't think we're really there yet. I mean, we're seeing these images, we're seeing music that's being compiled by very specialized machines. I, I, it's not gonna replace us humans. It's not gonna replace the strategic thinkers, the, the senior marketeers for many years to come, if ever. Okay, it's probably not gonna replace venture capitalists either. So um, how about any specifics on the B2B side? Because you know, Meritech has really been a, a B2B investor for the most part. Um, the uh, it, What do you see on the B2B side for this, uh, in addition to like the HubSpot client interface work? Um, 
So I will tell you, I think of marketing kind of falling into a specific vertical use agent space um, as opposed to horizontal agent use space, which AI is attacking both of these. Think of horizontal, if you will, something like an executive assistant who has to do a lot of different things, everything from from writing letters, answering phone calls to uh, setting up meetings and so forth. It's very broad and, and not particularly deep, but you know, varied and uh, and heterogeneous in a sense. Vertical right. space, vertical space takes deep knowledge and expertise, and in those cases, um, these these agents uh, are being trained now, and these products will be available at well, they're coming available now to do things like print ad copy, media copy, customer research doing some product recommendations, and they can source uh, images if they're very carefully managed to help support your advertising. And uh, one example is a company called Octane AI. Um, They're they're out there uh, providing uh, marketing services for stores that are on uh, uh, Shopify, using Shopify as kind of the the operating software behind it. there's a couple others too. Uh, Gitwit AI, Quill AI, and these are uh, all these are all doing this vertical thing you talked about. Where I'm they, taking, they are. I'm They're very all- specific here on on the problem, the answer, and then the cost I'm going to take out of the system. So, is this more cost saving than it is revenue deriving, or is it both? I suspect it's more cost saving right now than it is revenue driving, but over time it will it will do that. Because it will learn fast enough to to pick pick choices for revenue uh, without without a human playing in it, right? It'll get better and better. That's right. The um, okay. Last question before we go towards the final last question, which would be: If you have AI in your business like HubSpot, any tips on how to market it? And is there such a thing as overpromising it now? Or should you just take the AI space it, when you can take it? Well, that's a really good question. Uh, I um, I am not a marketer, as you can probably tell, so I tend to be a little less a little less uh, forward in terms of promoting. But I can tell you this: every other competitor you have is working on AI right now. It is the topic du jour, and they are going to claim they are doing things with AI long before they are. So you better get better doing, get busy doing it, so as to keep up and so as to let your clients know you're leaning into this because they're going to ask you about it. I mean, even our own LPs. This is uh, limited partners who invest in our fund. This is the one question they're asking us about: What are you doing in the space? What's happening? And um, how is that going to affect the returns I get in my venture fund? It is so, so, so if I summarize that, I hear you saying you ought to be thinking about it deeply. You ought to be practicing with it where you can. And you ought to be ready to have your story about it right. But if I go back to an earlier answer, you shouldn't just be throwing the kitchen sink at this. You should be pretty systemic about how you're doing it. Is that, is that a fair summary of, of, yeah, a, of great I would add this to it as well, which is it is really easy to use right now. Yeah. Chat GPT and and the others that are popping up 
are making it so very simple to interface with and to get value out of it very quickly, which is why that first wave of companies I expect will get commoditized fairly quickly. They're using they're using all the foundational tech available to all of us and putting a little tiny wrapper on top of it. And they're getting real functionality out of it very quickly. That's not sustainable in the long term, but within your business, it certainly is sustainable and usable for you. Got it. Thank you for that. So last question as we run towards the end of the show, it's a two-parter. You can take one part or both parts, but you have to take at least one first. Uh, it's uh, any funny AI story that you wish to tell or any piece of practical advice you want to give our listeners that we haven't talked about yet. That's part A, part B. You can answer both or just one, your pick. Sure. Well, um, there aren't a lot of funny AI stories yet, but I am sure there are many to come. You asked Not GPT for a joke and you didn't get a good one. <laughs> well, many of us, many of us have heard the story, Mike, of the uh, of the lawyer down in Florida that used chat GPT yes. to file a case. What you may not know is some of the details around that thing. So it turns out this guy was filing a personal injury lawsuit for his client against an airline. And they submitted their case to the judge and to the defense. And the airline's lawyers came back and said they were unable to find the precedent cases, and there were six of them, <laughs> were submitted, causing the judge to look more closely at this and to issue his judgment, which was, it very specifically, let me read this, Six of the submitted cases appear to be bogus judicial decisions with bogus quotes and bogus internal citations. And then he demanded the legal team explain themselves, at which point they fessed up and said they used ChatGPT to get it. <laughs> and then they went to ChatGPT and they said, are these legal, are these valid cases? And ChatGPT said, absolutely. We have sourced them from Westlaw and Thomson Reuters, and they are absolutely valid. Trial lawyers worldwide rejoice. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Okay, any any practical advice uh, you want to give us before we, we sign off? Um, practical advice would be every one of us should be hiring people who can access uh, these, these generative AI solutions and incorporate them into our work. And uh, you're gonna, you can play around with a lot of this stuff. You're gonna find value and you're gonna find value very quickly. It will be a modest investment for return that will pay off in years to come. So get busy if you aren't already. And the operational word there I think was years, which is practice, get it right, build for the future. Don't think you're gonna solve it all at once. Is that a fair, fair end to this? Fair way to put it. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you, Paul, and thanks to everyone for listening to CMO Confidential. Look for our other shows on Evergreen, Spotify, Apple, and YouTube, which include a marketing-trained CEO talks about business and the CMO position, a futurist and innovation expert talks about nowism. what I learned as the first-ever CMO of New York City under Mike Bloomberg, and a comprehensive look at fixing the CMO position. Paul, thanks again. And hey, all you marketers, stay safe out there. This is Mike Linton signing off from CMO Confidential.
Today's episode of CMO Confidential is brought to you by CMOcoaches.com. Are you a current or aspiring chief marketing officer looking to take your career to the next level? You should work with a CMO coach. CMO coaches are former CMOs who are nationally certified coaches. So whether you want to improve your leadership skills, develop your team, or drive better business results, we have the experience and expertise to help you succeed. To learn more, visit us at cmocoaches.com. Great careers are forged out of great relationships. Your success, whatever your field, relies and thrives on the support and insights of others. I'm Andy Lapata, an author and speaker on the power of professional relationships. In the Connected Leadership podcast, I have the privilege of interviewing people from around the world to understand the relationships that have made a difference on their journey and how their insights can help you. From Nobel Prize winners to Olympians, from NASA astronauts to peace campaigners, my guests have shared some captivating moments from their lives and careers. Combined with experts from leading universities, cutting-edge authors and giants of business, the Connected Leadership Podcast aims to inspire, educate and entertain. Hi, my name is Sara, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.